0: Welcome back for another episode here at Crest Talk. We're your hosts, Jamie Kim,
1: Chloe Lee, and Jamie Freitag.
0: At Crest, we believe everyone deserves support. The Crest app provides personalized support that helps you stress less and accomplish more. Just a few things. In light of COVID-19, we are not able to record in our studio. So don't worry, everyone. We're all in our respective homes. We're actually recording an audio call. And so, yeah, so we're really sorry if the audio isn't as good but we're just trying our best.
1: Yeah, so actually in light of COVID-19, today we have a very special guest, Dr. Laura Falkowski. Um, Dr. Falkowski, thank you so much for coming on the
2: show today. Thanks for having me. And how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Good. Good. Um, So do you want to maybe just introduce yourself a little bit? Sure, yeah. So uh, my name is Laura Falkowski. Um, I am an OBGYN. I work for Northwell Health currently out of Southside Hospital. Uh, I have a private practice that is in Oakdale, um, and I also do some shifts for the hospital, so have been kind of linked into everything that's going on with uh, COVID-19 in the hospital.
1: So um, how has your role as an OBGYN doctor changed in light of COVID?
2: Uh, in terms of COVID-19, um, we haven't changed so much. Um, office visits, we have defi- that has definitely been changing for us. So in the office right now, uh, we are seeing pregnant patients and emergency visits only. In terms of all of our annual exams have been rescheduled at this point, uh, just to try and decrease the uh, traffic in and out of the office. Uh, the amount of patients that are being, you know, we want everybody to stay home. So we don't want patients to come in if they don't absolutely have to be there. It's definitely been a little bit stressful being an OBGYN because I'm sure as you guys know, with COVID-19, there's not a ton of data that's out there because this is such a new virus. So it definitely has been stressful for our pregnant patients. Um, You know, They're very very scared about what can happen to them and what can happen to their babies. So we've been trying to um, handle that in the office. Um, And in the hospital, it's definitely been a little bit different for us too. I don't know if you want me to get into the specifics, but right now uh, at the hospital that I work at, we have kind of changed um, from a private practice run hospital to more of a laborist type of hospital. So, what we're doing right now is to try and decrease the exposure, um, obviously, of our, our doctors, our nurses, our staff, and the, the mommies and the babies. We've went to a rotating schedule. So we have right now at any given time we have two uh, doctors that are on labor and delivery doing usually twelve-hour shifts. So what that means is that the private attendings really aren't allowed to come in for their deliveries. So that definitely has been you know a little bit stressful as you know you you're seeing your patients through the nine months of their pregnancy and you obviously want to be there for them uh, for their delivery. So that is definitely tough. But I think right now all of all of the patients have been uh, super understanding. Um, we are also have had to be you know very fluid in terms of how everything is happening at the hospital and last week we had a situation where our postpartum unit they needed the beds for the COVID patients so what we have done at our hospital is we are taking our patients after they deliver to an off-site location to recover there wow. so there's definitely been a big change in the office and in the hospital
3: I see Um, And even before even the pandemic, I'm sure there was a lot of anxiety and worried mothers coming in pregnant. But now that uh, now with the COVID-19, everything must be heightened. How do you help them manage? How do you help them manage their anxiety um, with your patients?
2: Absolutely. So. Um, You know, we have been definitely counseling the patients um, in terms of, you know, things that we, you know, that, that that can help to reduce their, you know, stress and anxiety. Of course, we don't have a lot of answers right now. So we are recommending for our patients to stay at home as much as possible. And if they're able to work from home that we'd like them to be working from home. Mm -hmm. Um, we have recommended, you know, in terms of, you know, that they can go for walks outside if they'd like to do that. We're encouraging yoga. We're encouraging meditation. Um, we're also, uh, there are a lot of resources through Northwell that are available for our patients as well. Um, so there are some resources that we've been giving to the patients, um, in that aspect. And there definitely, uh, we have had to refer some patients to, um, a lot of the you know, some patients uh, that, that need more than just that, um, we've referred them to psychiatrists via, or I'm sorry, mm. psychologists, um, you know, via telehealth and those types of things if their anxiety is really bad.
0: Wow. So obviously, you know, you're running around busy caring for all of your patients, which is so amazing. But I guess we just wanted to wonder how you're doing and how you're coping with your own stress.
2: I'm doing okay. Um, some days are better than others, and I think the feel throughout most of the physicians is that, um, you know, you have times where you feel really good and then you have times where you feel really bad. Um, so it kind of comes in waves. Sometimes I feel really great and other times I feel, you know, a little nervous and anxious myself. Um, but in terms of that, um, you know, it's, it's something that you just, you do the best you can. You still have to take care of your patients. Um, and sometimes you, you have to be brave and you have to face, you know, what's coming head on um, and you have to do, you know, what's best for them. Right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great attitude that you have, um, you know, and that's really inspiring. Um, kind of like as we approach the peak or, you know, they said in New York, maybe the hospitalizations have gone down a little bit. Can you see any further, um, I guess, modifications in the hospital setting that um, are going to be implemented?
2: Um, It definitely is possible. Um, I know in terms of, you know, I'm OBGYN, so we're, you know, kind of in our our own separate little bubble. We are definitely having patients that are, you know, coming in that have COVID, that are sick. Um, But in terms of from our standpoint, I do see that, you know, if they did end up meeting the labor and delivery area for covid patients that were not pregnant, I definitely could see in the future that there's a possibility that we could have to move to an offsite location that possibly the area right now, which is an ambulatory facility where our patients are recovering, they could probably make modifications to truly make that almost like a birthing center. Um, And some of the hospitals, there has been some talk already of some of the hospitals, um, actually just you, you know multiple hospitals kind of joining together and doing all of labor and delivery in one spot.
0: Yeah, and speaking about modifications, have there been any changes of changes of protocol in terms of um, every individual mommy coming in uh, pre labor and post labor?
2: So what we've been doing is. Um in terms of our office visits, uh, there is um, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, the American College of OBGYN, and the American Journal of OBGYN actually published some guidelines on how they want us seeing our pregnant patients. So in the office, um, the, the standard of how we typically saw our pregnant patients, um, you know, every four weeks, you know, in the beginning, then every two weeks, and then weekly, those visits have spaced out. There are definitely, um, we typically um, with mommies and babies, we sometimes have to do testing, you know, sonograms and putting mommies on the monitor to listen to the baby's heartbeat and see if they're contracting. And, you know, in some patients who have conditions such as hypertension, high blood pressure, or if they have gestational diabetes or any complications in the pregnancy, uh, they're monitored more, more frequently. So some of those monitoring visits have changed as well. In the hospital, uh, we are uh, testing every patient that every pregnant patient that comes in for COVID um, to see uh, if if they have it. We have actually found that in in our hospital about 30% of patients who are asymptomatic, meaning they walk in and they their temperature is normal, they have no known exposure, no known travel history, they don't have any of the symptoms. About 30% of those patients have actually tested positive. So that is a big number and they are, um, limiting in terms of inductions where typically if a mom was pregnant and said, you know, listen, um, there's obviously certain medical reasons that we do inductions and there are elective inductions where if you wanted to come in a week before your due date, we could kind of get things, get things going for you. Um, in terms of all of the elective inductions, those have changed. So they're not allowing us to do any inductions of labor at this point until the patients are a week past their due date. Um, And if the patients have medical reasons that they need to be induced, then it's a case-by-case basis that we discuss with the maternal fetal medicine doctors who are the high-risk doctors. So there's been a lot of change, um, you know, and it may have been where somebody had an induction scheduled for 39 weeks. And then we spoke to the high-risk doctor and they said, okay, well, you know, now with, you know, due to the pandemic, we're going to, you know, move that to 40 weeks. So that's definitely impacted some of the patients as well too.
1: Right. Right. And so, you know, one of the biggest things that I've been, you know, seeing on Facebook and hearing the news is that um, visitation for the mothers has been, you know, impacted. So
2: can you just talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, when everything started, I know some of the hospitals in the city actually stopped having visitors altogether. together. Uh, some on the island did the same just because there was the fear that the more people we bring into the hospital, the more potential exposure it is to the staff that's at the hospital. And knowing that we're having staff members that are getting sick and that, you know, obviously then at that point, aren't able to work. We want to decrease the exposure to the, you know, the the people who are working in the hospital uh, as much as possible. So right now, what we're doing um, at at my hospital right now, we are still allowing visitors, but it is a very um, strict guidelines. So if a mommy is coming in to have a scheduled C-section, She's allowed to have one person, one support person come in with her. That person's allowed to be present for the C-section, and they're allowed to bond with uh, the baby for an hour after delivery. At that point, then, the husband uh, does have to go home, and the mommy and baby are transferred to the um, facility that we're sending all of our postpartum patients to. Obviously, after a couple hours, we want to make sure they're recovered and stable, so they typically stay at the hospital about four hours. And when they're at the uh, offsite facility, they are not able to have visitors there as well. For our mommies who are having uh, normal deliveries, normal vaginal deliveries, we're allowing uh, one support person to come in when they're five centimeters. They're allowed to stay there until delivery and then the same about an hour after. Uh, And then the support person does have to leave while the mommy and baby are transferred to the um, offsite facility. And just in addition to that, we are, we do have new guidelines. Uh, typically what happens is with, uh, patients that have a normal vaginal delivery, they would usually go home two days after delivery. And if you had a C-section three or four days, just depending on how, you know, mommy is doing and mommy is feeling, we've actually created new guidelines to try and, uh, help to expedite, to get our patients, um, out of the, uh, facility that we're sending them to a little bit sooner. Obviously, we have to be very safe about that. So there are certain criteria where the patients may not be able to go there and may not be able to be discharged early. But for the majority of uncomplicated deliveries, we're sending the patients who have a vaginal delivery home one day after delivery and C-sections home two days after delivery.
3: I see. And you also mentioned that Um, 30% of the mothers who come in without any symptoms are tested positive, and they must be exposed to uh, everything else in the world. Um, I just want to ask if mothers are actually at risk in the hospital. Can they be exposed to the virus within the hospital while giving birth?
2: I mean absolutely. Uh, We know at this point that you know uh, even going to the grocery store or something as simple as going to you know CVS to pick up a prescription uh, you can definitely be exposed. Uh, This virus definitely is very is very contagious. Um, So there obviously is a possibility um, if you go anywhere that you can that you would be able to catch the virus and that is the same you know the same as in the hospital. Unfortunately we know that you know most patients uh, can be asymptomatic uh, and still have some viral shedding meaning that when they're asymptomatic they can still be contagious Um, from healthcare workers from our standpoint you know we are required to wear the personal protective equipment when we are um, in contact with the patients but it's not to say that you know if if a staff member was sick it couldn't happen Um, so it is a possibility but obviously we are doing everything we can to protect our mommies and babies
3: And right now, there's also a shortage in these protective gears um, in many different hospitals. And do you guys have enough supplies for yourselves to protect yourselves and even for the patients?
2: So at this time, we do. Um, You know, it's kind of a difficult situation because with the personal protective equipment, especially the N95 masks, we typically don't utilize the N95 masks very often. Oh. You would typically use that for airborne diseases in terms of if somebody had uh, like tuberculosis and you had to go into the room, you would use an N95. And usually for what we're taught, it's a one-time use mask. That being said, there was a lot of debate um obviously between uh, with this virus whether it was you know droplet precautions or uh, airborne precautions which basically kind of goes back and forth in terms of how the virus is spread is the virus spread by somebody coughing or sneezing or is it something that we think is airborne that just can be from essentially from breathing you know that somebody can get it Mm. So with the personal protective equipment um in terms of the N95 masks masks it's definitely not ideal right now we are being asked to reuse our masks yeah. but at this point i feel like we have you know obviously um if if our mask get, gets um if it breaks or if it gets soiled i mean obviously in the labor room you know we deal with amniotic fluid and blood and all sorts of fun things yeah so if our masks do get um do get broken or soiled we are able to get a new mask um but And in terms of for right now, I think we have enough gloves, we have enough gowns, um, but I know that every hospital is not that fortunate. I have a friend who works at a hospital where they were, um, you know, they were using garbage bags instead of gowns. And that is very concerning because we don't know if garbage bags protect against the virus. It's another layer of something, but, you know, there's no science behind that. And I will say, um, you know, from my standpoint, when we kind of had an idea that this virus was coming, uh, I have a very good friend who's an emergency room doctor um, who alerted me to a couple different things. And I actually ordered some of my own personal protective equipment on Amazon. Um, I got a couple pairs of goggles uh, just to know that that I had some sort of eye protection. Mm-hmm. Um I did I did have a uh respirator at home so I was able to have that so I was able to order a couple of N95 and N100 uh or P100 filters for that. So I do feel from that standpoint too that a little bit of self-preparedness went a long way because I feel like if for whatever reason the hospital does run out of PPE in terms of the the N95 masks which I think are the the biggest issue right now um, that I do have a little bit of my own stock at home that I could use if necessary. That's great. That's,
3: that's a relief to hear. (laughs) It
2: was stressful to get. It wasn't easy. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I bet. Yeah. So like, how have your colleagues been doing, um, you know, mental health wise with dealing with everything?
2: Uh, yeah, in turn, I mean, I think that everybody is struggling a little bit because it's definitely new. It's very stressful. And again, you know, like I've been saying, there's not a lot of data, there's not a lot of data out. Um, I know that in terms of a lot of colleagues um, have been doing, you know, again, yoga, meditation. Northwell has been um, so wonderful to us in terms of um, all of the resources that they have. There's actually an app that Northwell has, and I believe is called Virgin Pulse. And if you go on there, there's all sorts of how to stay healthy during, um, you know, the pandemic, you know, how to eat, how to keep your mind at ease. So that has been really wonderful. Um, and I know um, I, I have some of my, my friends who are, uh, you know, colleagues who are, you know, working out and lifting weights. And there's actually a group of us that have um, Peloton bikes. So we've been doing Peloton rides together just to try and, you know, decrease the stress and, um, you know, stay healthy.
0: Right. And I love that you guys at least have resources or um, coping mechanisms to help yourselves. And um, talking about birth, like giving birth in and of itself is so tough. Um, Both Jamie and I were doulas over the summer. So we've worked with moms and um, when things were quote unquote normal and birth was already even tough with their family members and loved ones. So how did you see that this, what kind of toll did this take on your own mommies and their mental health?
2: I think they're definitely stressed um, for sure. I think number one, um, really having no data and really having you know no research about this virus, and you know saying that okay, we know that similar viruses like you know the flu and the Middle Eastern respiratory um, you know syndrome and uh, SARS and those types of things, um, you know we have an idea of how those affected you know um, pregnancy and mommies and babies, but because this is so new, um, they have definitely been stressed. Um, I think that as everything is changing at the hospital and the patients are very aware that things are changing very rapidly at the hospital in terms of who's allowed in, who's not allowed in, uh, Mm -hmm. their their postpartum course and recovery. I, I think that the majority of patients have been a little bit stressed about it there are some patients most of the patients understand that what we're doing um, is for the utmost safety of our mommies and babies um but i i will tell you that a lot of patients uh we actually had an influx of patients when some of the hospitals in the city and on the islands uh started um not to allow visitors there was a surge of calls to our office about patients wanting to transfer because our hospital was one of the the last hospitals that was still allowing visitors. So I think that now that more of the hospitals have allowed, in, in not in terms of visitors, more in terms of a support person that's there for delivery. So now that most of the hospitals are allowing that one support person in for delivery, I think the patients have been, have been feeling a little bit better since then. But I think the overall You know, patients are happy to come to the office because they say it's their, you know, their outing of the week or their outing of the month. Um, But, you know, you can definitely feel that they're stressed.
1: Right. And so, you know, this is basically uncharted water for, you know, everybody. And I was just wondering if, you know, you seek guidance from maybe some of your older colleagues or you guys are just all helping each other out or, you know, what the dynamic is with that?
2: Yeah, I think we're all kind of helping each other out at this point. Um, I have been a reading machine and some of my colleagues have actually referred to me as the professor, which is pretty funny. Um, I think it's because it's such new and unchartered territory that we kind of all have to band together and rely on each other. So, you know, in certain situations where you know, we're relying really heavier, heavy on our administrators and on our chairman of the departments and of our maternal fetal medicine doctors who have been so wonderful in, in helping us with all of the newest research and guidelines um, and, you know, to allow us to give our patients a great uh, quality of care. Um, but in certain in certain situations with Obstetrical patients or even gynecological patients, where sometimes you would say, hey, I have this patient, I'm not quite sure, you know, what to do. And you would, you could ask one of your older partners or older colleagues. Um, this is very different because I think it's such unchartered territory that they don't have really that much more knowledge than we do. I think it's the people who are actually reading and studying and kind of dedicating their, you know, their free time at home to learning more about this and staying on on top of um on top of everything that's going on and on top of all of the newest and hottest data.
3: I see. And, you know, after a long day, you meet so many different clients and patients who are carrying stress, who are carrying anxiety, and it must transfer over to you too. How do you, how do you deal with this? Do you feel that burden, that heaviness as you're going home?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, Again, some days are better than others. Some days, you know, some days I'm able to say, hey, this is the way the world is now. And Mm -hmm. other days, you know, I get in my car and think, I cannot wait for this to be over. (laughs) Yeah. So it definitely, there is an element of, of stress, you know, at home. Um, But I've, I've found good coping mechanisms to, to handle that and to deal with that. And, you know, sometimes just getting on my bike and spinning and until I can't feel my legs anymore is just a great way to handle it.
3: <laughs> and when you go back home to your family, to your loved ones, how do they feel about this?
2: They're nervous. They're, abs- they're nervous as well. Um, most, the majority of my family uh, lives in Buffalo. They have been calling me uh, Dr. Doom for quite some time because oh when... <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it's pretty, it's a great name to have, right? Um, when all of this started about three weeks ago with the social distancing, um, both of my parents are are over sixty five, um, and I have a, a nephew who's five years old. And his mom actually works in the hospital in Buffalo, so I really had to kind of you know tell them this is serious, this is coming. you guys have to shut it down. You know They usually do like a big Sunday dinner together. I was like, this weekend, you cannot have your Sunday dinner together, so they were all a little bit mad at me. but I think as they saw <laughs> um, I think as they saw you know everything that was kind of you know developing and, hap- and happening. Um, you know, they were very grateful that they weren't out and about, and that they were, you know, that they had kind of listened to the recommendations. Um, and I'll tell you, they actually sent me some macaroons and said, "You know, thanks for keeping us safe. You know, we hope that you stay safe too." So I think ultimately, they really appreciated the advice, even though, <laughs> even though I'm now Doctor Doom. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess in terms of that too, just in case you, you know, in case you guys wanted to hear about my routine. Um, you know, in and out of the hospital is very, it's very different. You have to be mindful now when I come home of, of everything. So as I'm coming home from the hospital, I get out of my car and I have a bin uh, that is on my porch. So my shoes go right into that bin and I put on a pair of flip-flops and I wear those flip-flops into my house. As soon as I get in the door, I have a cardboard box that anything that went to the hospital or went to the office with me goes into the cardboard box. So whether it be my phone, my keys, um, any paperwork or water bottles or anything that I might have needed to take with me goes right into the box. At that point, I have some alcohol wipes that are you know, kind of near that area that I used to wipe down my phone and wipe down my keys and wipe down anything that potentially, you know, could have been contaminated. And then I strip at the door. Um, I, you know, I get right into the shower. Um, there's no more like coming home and sitting on the couch for a minute or coming home and prepping dinner or, you know, coming home and just doing something really quick. It's, it's a very regimented, um, it's a very regimented uh, routine when I get home. Mm-hmm. And I was very grateful that even before we had a lot of COVID patients in our hospital and on labor and delivery, I'd kind of been practicing that so that when, for lack of better terms, when the crap hit the fan and we started seeing you know, the, the, a lot of patients, it just, it just was then a part of the routine.
3: Right. Yeah, that is such an important step to take. And even for me, I work at a pharmacy where a lot of sick people come in and out, in and out, and they're always touching things. Um, so yeah, that's very helpful, that fact that you have to take everything off and disinfect everything. I think a lot of people forget to do that, and they just walk into their homes and just carrying all the bacteria and viruses with them.
2: Yeah. Well, any of my friends that have asked me for you know advice on what to do, that's exactly what I've been telling them. And I know I have some friends who, you know, they say, okay, you know, they, they get into their garage and they, everything goes in the garage and they strip down in their garage and then from then come in and take a shower. But, you know, we know that this virus can live on. We think that it can live, um, you know, in terms of on plastic and on metal and on, um, you know, cardboard and, and essentially on everything. We think it can live on clothes. We think it can live in hair. So it's one of those things where we really can't be, be too careful. Um, and the other thing that's super important, too, is if you wear, um, if you wear any type of corrective um, eyewear, um, really they're recommending um, that we should be wearing our glasses and not our contacts, because if we're wearing our contacts, we're touching our eyes. And who's to say if the virus can live on your contacts or maybe not live on your contacts? So, you know, we have been, if you, if you go to the hospitals, you see everybody has their glasses on. <laughs>
1: yeah no I bet it's definitely you know a life changing experience and I'm just wondering like you personally are you afraid um you know for your own health
2: and safety um I think for right now, obviously in the beginning um as this was as this was starting to develop it was it was very worrisome, and the data that we saw from China and Italy initially kind of was enough to tell us that this virus doesn't really pick age. It doesn't really pick gender, and you don't really have to have pre-existing conditions to get it. Now, obviously, we know that there are, you know, certain risk factors that make make people more likely to get it than if they if they get the virus that it could be a more. Um, it it could be more serious for those patients, yeah. um, but definitely, and knowing that healthcare workers were getting sick, that we saw in you know in China and Italy, and there was a thought for a while that you know because healthcare workers were more exposed to the virus, that when they got sick, they got sicker than than the normal patients. So there definitely was an element of of fear. Um, I will say that I I am thirty six years old. I don't have any plans of going anywhere anytime soon, but I did discuss with my family, um, you know, my wishes if something were to happen to me, which, you know, sounds kind of morbid, but knowing that I could, that I, you know, I'm, it's not, if I'm going to be exposed to it, I am definitely exposed to it. Um, I am definitely super careful. We have the correct protective equipment. Um, some of the data that was coming out of China and Italy were showing that the doctors were getting, um, Sick as they ran out of the protective equipment. So, for me, knowing that I have that backup supply if I need it is really good. Um, and, but I think as it's become now, for we've had this around for a couple of weeks, it's just become more of a fact of this is just kind of the way it is. And where the first couple weeks it was, you know, definitely difficult to get it off your mind. You know, you're sleeping for two hours and you're waking up and you think, oh my gosh, the sun's out. And then you're like, oh, right, the pandemic. So that feeling has definitely went away a little bit that I think that now it's become a part of, the initial fear is gone and it's just part of the routine.
0: Right, and um, just to talk about what's happening with social media and all the support that all the frontline healthcare workers are getting, you know, um, I hear the 7 p.m. claps and the pots and pans on my street and even fireworks. And you guys are getting so much support, well-deserved support. But there are some people actually going around saying, "This is what
2: physicians signed up for." So, how do you respond to that? So the way that I've been responding to that is I don't really think that any of us have signed any of us have signed up to be part of a pandemic. <laughs> um, right. In terms of that, though, I feel very strongly that I took an oath to take care of my patients when I became a physician, right. and that I will abide by that oath. And that, as long as we have the personal protective equipment that we need to take care of our patients, then I will go to work and I will do my job, and I will continue to do. I will continue to do my best.
1: That's great. Um, You know, that's obviously a great attitude to have. And you know, one of my questions is, you know, how do you believe this will affect your career going forward?
2: Um, From that standpoint, I don't. I'm going to hope that at some point this is going to go away and it is going to be something that in 25 years or 50 years from now, I'm going to be able to look back and say, wow, that was really crazy. But I don't think going forward, I I will tell you, there are some of my colleagues who are like, that's it. When this is over, I'm done with medicine. I'm going to do something else. I don't think it's going to change personally for me.
3: Hmm. How do you say this pandemic changed your life and your outlook on future on your future practice
2: i i don't think so far in terms of the life changes i think it's more just the being very careful with every everything you do every step of the day you don't realize how many things during a day that you know you you may touch or you may come into contact with and you know, you may touch somebody's doorbell and then not wash your hands, but now you have to say, if I touch a doorbell, if I touch a doorknob, if I touch my, my car door, the gas pump, if I go to the grocery store and touch the cart, that, you know, those are things that I think um, I'm personally becoming more aware of, um, and in terms of future career, um just gonna hope that this doesn't happen again that you know in in my lifetime that we don't see another pandemic
0: right and obviously this covid 19 really just hit us um from the back and no one was really prepared and it's becoming this whole political thing emotional thing mental thing with how hospitals are preparing there's a lot of videos about how um what the hospital is saying claiming to put their workers first and supplying enough materials. They're saying that that's the truth, but then workers are actually coming out saying that that's not true. Um, So obviously we can never really, this was not something that we could have been completely prepared for, but do you think it's possible that there could be other protocols implemented to maybe um,
2: handle the situation even a little bit better? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that, there has definitely. I am on a group on Facebook, uh, PMG. That's Physicians Moms Group, and this is um, doctors that are moms from essentially all over the country. And there have been a lot of reports of when this first came out of you know um, doctors who were wearing masks in their office or in the hospital, where the administrators um, were coming through and asking them to remove the masks. There were actually some reports of administrators that were actually taking masks. Off of the physicians um, so that's obviously not a good thing and there have been um, some doctors and not that I've heard of in New York but in different parts of the country who have been speaking out against their hospitals not having PPE and being reprimanded or even as far as much as as fired
1: oh wow and so, yeah um, is there anything you would like to say to all the fellow healthcare professionals on the front
2: lines be brave keep doing what you're doing and we're going to get through this and we're going to be better for it and stronger for it on the other side
3: thank you um this this whole session was so inspiring thank you so much for being here thank you for sharing your insight um giving us a look a glimpse into your personal life even i definitely learned a lot like the whole cardboard box trick i'm definitely going to use that (laughs) you know i'll just strip down and kind of leave everything in the corner but even the fours, I can get infected, and I have a dog. So, um, yeah, so thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Dr. Yeah, thank you. Dr. you. Thank you. We'll see you yeah. guys next
3: time on Crest Talk.